Happy Monday, Liberty. Kitty cats, welcome back to the flagship Lions of Liberty podcast. Before we hop into today's awesome conversation with Legal Man, I want to make sure you guys are aware. You could have already heard this conversation. You could have even heard it live, seen it live. If only you were a member of the Lions of Liberty Pride or one of our supporters on Locals. There are multiple ways to support us now. You can head over to Patreon, join the Pride at patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty or head over to Locals at lionsofliberty.locals.com. If you support us on either platform, you'll get access to most, if not all, of my interviews live as they happen and early access to those same interviews. You will also get access to all of our tremendous bonus content, including Conspiracy Corner, Degenerate Gamblers, Good Morning Fuckhead from Brian McWilliams. I challenge you to find better value in the Liberty world for your $5 or more, of course, per month. Again, check it out. Patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty or lionsofliberty.locals.com. Support the greatest Liberty variety show on earth. We need to empower people with not just a philosophical tool, Welcome to the flagship Lions of Liberty podcast, your weekly dose of education, inspiration, and real-world application from the top minds in the liberty movement. If you want liberty, we need to be better leaders, better husbands, better fathers, better friends, better businessmen. We need to be better people. Here's your host, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty. Mark Clare. Kitty Cats, my guest today is the host of the Quash podcast, which I have been enjoying quite a bit lately. He also runs one of my absolute favorite Twitter accounts at US Law Review, and he goes by the name Legal Man. Legal Man, are you ready to roar? I am ready to meow, probably. <laughs> we'll take that. A meow is a is technically a type of roar or a precursor to a roar. Exactly. Well, you, you've certainly been <laughs> roaring out there. I've been following your Twitter like I was talking to you about before the show for, for quite some time. But really, in these COVID times are really when it's become, you know, one of my absolute go-to favorite Twitter accounts. Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll get into more about your opinions and your thoughts on everything that's been going on with the COVID regime and, and some other things. But first, I want to learn a little bit more about you. Uh, so why don't you just get into it and you can kind of take it where, from wherever you want to, but I'm kind of curious, you know, what first brought you into the legal profession firstly, and then kind of how you became politically aware and maybe, maybe if you could touch on how your views have evolved over the years and take it from wherever it makes the most sense. Okay. Well, um, you know, I, I went to law school under the misimpression that it was, you know, a, like most things that it was as represented. And I was in my twenties, I thought it would be about, you know, fighting the good fight and all this crap. And I used to actually enjoy arguing. I grew up in a very contentious home and, uh, you know, once, once I got, and I had a lot of lawyers in my family and some judges and stuff like that. So it was, it seemed like a good fit. And it's, it's so different than it's portrayed. It's really so different. And I was raised in a household where my father was basically a communist and my mother was pretty conservative, but we didn't, there wasn't a huge amount of arguing about politics. And I was kind of came out of there as a kind of hardcore libertarian-ish kind of Robert Ringer kind of style guy from the 70s and the 80s. He wrote books and I believed all that crap. I believed in the constitutional conservatism nonsense and I knew every one of the arguments and, 
and I practiced law for a while at this huge firm with, you know, hundreds and hundreds of lawyers, and it was horrible, and, and it was really terrible, and very, it's a very crooked profession, and then I, I left and took a huge pay cut and, and wanted to try cases and worked in the public defender's office for a year, and I got kicked out of three courts because it was, it's just, it's as corrupt as the civil side, and and then I went into practice with some buddies, and uh, one of my buddies had a bad divorce and got hooked on uh, basically hookers and blow, and that, that, that whole thing kind of blew apart. <laughs> yeah, it was not too good. And uh, so I've been in private practice. I'm not, I'm not willing to partner up with anyone since then. It's been about 20 years since that time, and seen an incredible amount of corruption. And so I try to tell people about the practice and explain to them that I used to be a constitutional conservative. I used to believe all of that crap. And it seemed like it made so much sense to me when I believed it. And if you're inside the system and you're comparing it to what it always gets compared to, which is the liberals and the commies and all that kind of stuff, what they call the Marxists now, um, yeah, it does make sense compared to that. It, it actually all holds together. If you stay inside that little box, then you seem like you really have it down. But as soon as I was exposed to Lysander Spooner, which is about 20 years ago after the kind of Internet became popular, well, that was it. As soon as I read his stuff, I knew I knew right then I'd been completely and totally fooled. And I proceeded to just dismantle the entire structure that I'd lived under for so long and that just ended up, I mean, seriously blackpilling me. I kid that I'm actually cyanide pilled at this point. <laughs> it's so one. far. I've heard about yes, a lot of so, It was somebody in my Twitter uh, laughed and said that I'm cyanide pilled and I thought it was very funny. So I, I use that because it's, I think it's appropriate because I know people think I'm kidding when I say this, but I have never, ever found a single government narrative that gets pushed. That's true. Not one single one. And I've looked for 20 years. And so I wound up in a position where I try to tell people about the system, not so much because I think we can really change it, though we could if enough people caught on, but because just knowing the truth is extremely helpful. It's it's you're able to defend yourself in ways that you're not otherwise. And so I did a blog for years, about 10 years ago, and burned out on it. It was too much work writing complex papers and trying to make it simple for people. Looks easy, but it's really very time consuming. And so when this COVID insanity broke out, I couldn't believe that anyone was believing. I, that was shocking to me that that it was that Tony Fauci, the, the scammer for 40 years in the government, could be presented as an expert to be believed was just so mind boggling to me that nobody was bringing it up. And what I heard on the stupid constitutional radio, even though it's always just bullshit controlled opposition, I could not believe that they were allowing the government, because it was Trump, to 15 days to flatten the curve and hand out trillions of dollars and all this stupid crap. It's like, dude, you cannot ever go down that road, ever. You have to draw the line. And so that's why I started my podcast, uh, was just mostly out of frustration and the fact that when everything was shut down, I had time on my hands. <laughs> I was like, well, I'm going to make use of it. And so 
you know, fast forward, whatever, 20 months later. And this is where I am there. You had mentioned getting kicked out of a couple of courts. Can you kind of dig into that? What that actually entails? Like, how do you how do you get kicked (laughs) out of a court? (laughs) Okay, well, the way it worked in my county was that in some counties, the public defender has to be in the court and they they get the cases independently. But in the county I operated in, the court could either opt into having a public defender or not. And they usually had a public defender. It didn't mean you only had a public defender. They still also had cases that were given out to uh, private attorneys uh, under kind of, you know, where the, the government pays for your lawyer and they just they pay that. And you, you get those cases assigned to you, and you get on a wheel. Uh, but but you could have a, a public defender and the public defender handed a lot of stuff. And it was very obvious from the disputes I got in that the public defender, like all the other lawyers who took these uh, cases that were given to them, were there to plead people out. <laughs> that was their job, was to move the court's docket along, not to give the people uh, a representation and to allow them to exercise their rights. And I had a, there's a lot of corruption, like situations where I would I would go in the back to see the to judge on something minor thing that had nothing to do with the next partang, and the, the the prosecutor, one of the assistant DAs, would be sitting there just going over all the cases, um, completely and totally improper, gross ethics violation. You can lose your license for doing things like that. It's called ex parte. You can't just go in and talk about cases when other counsel's not present with the judge, and so I had things like that. I had prosecutors where um, you would have this typical family violence case. They, in my state, when the police come out on a family violence case, uh, they must arrest somebody. They have to arrest somebody. Just think how insane that already is that you go out there, someone's getting like arrested. Actual, and a lot of people rule like they must arrest. Yes, someone. Oh, that's, that's it. That's, that's it. They have to do it. It's been the rule for 30 years. You And a lot of states have that rule that if you get called on a close, no call domestic violence, then you must arrest one of the parties out there. And so a lot of people don't know about this because the rule is so ridiculous. But it used to be that they would get arrested, normally arrest the guy, and then what happened is you had you had some ability you could take a spousal privilege to not testify, which you would expect that if your spouse doesn't want to testify against you in a case that they can't be made to testify. I mean, that's the heart of the entire concept of of having a wife or a priest or a, a lawyer. You've got to have some expectation of, of confidence in that. So, but they, so the law used to be that they could just sign an affidavit of, uh, in effect, non-testimony. They're agreeing they're not going to testify. Well, now they, the state has no case because they have no way to make a case. You, the, the cops don't have, they really can't testify about Jack because they weren't there when it happened. So they have no evidence and so they have to dismiss. Well, I'd get lawyers, uh, prosecutors who would refuse to. Uh, they would still expect my client to 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 take what was in effect deferred adjudication and, and take probation to go through this so-called family violence counseling and all this other crap. And it's totally improper because they don't have a case. It's it's a direct violation of their ethical obligation. It's, it's a violation of what they call in our state disciplinary rules, and they can be sanctioned for it. So I would have to threaten them. Look, I'm not my client's not taking anything. I'm going to I'm going to file a complaint with the state bar if you don't dismiss. And and so those kinds of problems are the kinds of things I would I was a so-called problematic uh, 
um, you know, lawyer in their courts. And so two of the courts kicked me out and another one of the courts, when they kicked me out, they just meant that they, they said they were going to get rid of the public defender unless I put, unless my boss put another one in there. So they moved me to another court and another same kind of problems. And I could give thousands of other kinds of problems. And in the last one, they actually simply just canceled the public defender's position. They didn't even give them the option to say, we're not going to have a public defender anymore. And it's just shocking, really. So essentially, you were calling out corruption as you saw it. And instead of addressing the corruption, they just got rid of you. Yes. And which was classic. There was another. And and one of the DAs that I uh, had a problem with with regards to this this continuing the prosecution, they're, they're now a judge up in, uh, in another county. And they've been sitting on the bench for uh, 20 years. And I'm sure they're doing the exact same kind of crap they did. I had another uh, judge in there that used to run. He was famous for basically running a uh, uh, kind of a debtor's prison. He would not allow these people to sit out their fines and court costs. He would force them out on probation or make them go to trial. He simply would not agree. See, people don't understand that you can reach agreement with the district attorney about what what the so-called plea deal will be, but you still have to put it in front of the judge and the judge still has to agree to it. And if the judge doesn't agree to it, well, then your options are go to trial (laughs) or don't go to trial, but you are going to trial unless you can reach whatever the judge does. And he simply wouldn't let him sit it out. So obviously people who are using the public defender, they don't have any money. So lots of times it was better for the person to sit out, say, another three or four days in jail because you get all these fines and court cost credits for days in jail. And I'd say, look, dude, you know, you can come out and get on probation, but you're, you know, you're going to have to pay probation fees. You're going to have to do all this miscellaneous crap or you sit in jail for another three or four days and, you know, just that's it. And you're out and you just plead, plead, plead guilty and you're done. Time served. And the judge wouldn't allow that in his court. He would force them out so they could collect the probation fees because he knows damn well these people will get out. They won't be able to pay their probation fees. They'll screw up on probation. Then they can bring them back in. He can hold the the, the two or three-year probated sentence over their head to enforce even more fines on them and just run them through the system. He did it all the time. It was well-known in the courthouse for doing it. Well-known in the courthouse for doing it. And nobody ever did a damn thing about it. All right, gang. Well, if there is one thing that you can do a damn thing about, that is taking control of your own finances, your own earnings. And one great way to do that, one thing a lot of people are doing right now, especially in this Liberty world, are investing in cryptocurrencies. And now, thanks to our friends at iTrust Capital, you can get tax-free gains on those cryptocurrency earnings by utilizing the traditional IRA structure. And whether you hold your assets for the long term or you buy and sell with the market, iTrust Capital's IRA accounts provide the lowest transaction fees for buying Bitcoin or other digital currencies. I want to encourage you to get your free report. That is step one here, guys. If you look want more information, do yourself a favor. Get your free report right now by heading over to itrustcapital.com and use promo code LIONS to get your first month for free. You just can't beat that. It seems, I mean, through your story and obviously through a lot of other stories I've heard over over the year, eight or so years I've been doing this podcast. I mean, it seems like 
our criminal justice system is has a series of like perverse incentives so that the incentive for whether it's a judge or a prosecutor, the incentive, they're never incentivized by like getting to the truth of a case. They're incentivized by other things like, you know, winning cases or getting convictions, which is often, you know, the opposite of actually finding the truth to the situation. So, I mean, is that, is that what you see too, that this, this entire system is just set up to be corrupt, you know? So even if you remove maybe a corrupt judge here or there or something like that, or you shine some light on something, the system remains and the system will continue to incentivize people to be bad actors. Yes, the system is set up. It can never work. Everybody who says that it's the greatest system ever devised is either a complete fool or, or in on the scam because, the way the fundamental problems with the systems in the criminal justice system are that there's no personal responsibility or consequence to anybody on the state side. So if a prosecutor and everybody saw it in stupid things like the Reginald Denny case out in L.A., where they grossly overcharged the guys that were in there, they charged him with things they didn't have. They charged him with some kind of mayhem because they didn't like the fact that the other sentence didn't hold like aggravated battery didn't hold sufficient uh, life, life sentence or some crap. But mayhem required that the person lose a limb or some portion of a well, they hadn't lost a portion of a limb. They didn't meet the, the charging requirements. And so. They charge these people. They overcharge them. They overcharged OJ. They didn't have murder. They had. Uh, they clearly had him as an accomplice. They have blood in his sink. They have all this different evidence. It shows he's clearly involved in some form, either before or after the fact, and covering. It's it's clear. But they don't have him for murder, and so they lose all. And everybody blows up and gets pissed off at the jury for doing their job. But it's really the problem is the prosecutors. They overcharge, and they do this all the time. People see it in movies all the time. Oh, well, you don't know. We're going to charge you with X, Y, and Z, such and such. It's like, well, you don't even have that. Well, yeah, good luck. You know, good luck to you. It's like, okay, so you can extort people and blackmail people with charges that you know you don't legitimately have, even though you're sworn to do justice. And what is the personal consequence to a prosecutor who overcharges somebody? There's nothing. See, they don't risk anything. They don't risk their license. They don't risk a fine. They don't risk being personally sued. They become famous in the case of uh, OJ's prosecutors. Those people were massively rewarded. They all went on these fabulous TV careers and and professorships and everything else because fundamentally the system's not set up to do what it should, which is try to do justice. And the judges are in the exact same position. The judges... Uh, they are free to deny bail, make these these rulings against people. And what do they risk if uh, if they get overturned on appeal? They risk nothing. See, they risk nothing. So you risk everything. You have to risk going to prison for the rest of your life while the judges and the prosecutors risk nothing for putting people to these tests. And so just right there, you can see that that can never work. See, that can never, ever work because they don't have any skin in the game. Every it's all upside. And that's why they just they just overcharge the crap out of you, threaten you and then get you to plead into something that you don't go to trial. And the the vast majority of people end up trying cases um, are people who are being offered a deal that sucks so bad. (laughs) <laughs> they got nothing to lose. I mean, if they're gonna if they're gonna offer me the max, I might as well just go in there. They're gonna offer me six months off the max. I might as well try the case. There's no reason not to. And so, you have all those problems, and that, and and then you have so so many other problems that I try to discuss with people. One of the most fundamental is the the fact that they've destroyed your real right to a jury trial because you because jury nullification needs to be front and center of every trial, and and the way they 
allow the state to strike people who are prejudiced, they call, against the state. Well, all that means is that the, the person has personal experience with or knowledge of the fact that the state, through its police and court system, is corrupt and railroads people. And those are exactly the kind of people you want on a jury if you are a defendant and you want to actually have this so-called theory that we prefer a hundred guilty go free than one per innocent person be con- convicted. Well, the way the jury system's supposed to work is you take the first 12 people who come in. But what they allow is that they, they, they strike everybody who who knows what the cops do, who's been hassled by the cops, who's, who knows, has a friend who was lied to, who's, they, they, they know them, they know all these. Well, those, if you weren't able to strike those people off a jury, which they should not be able to strike those people off a jury, you could not get convictions. And the whole, the answer to that is not that, well, you can have drug addicts and everything on running around. The answer to it is the state needs to clean its act up and stop being so damn corrupt so everybody who comes in there doesn't have experience with the corruption of the police and the prosecutors. That's the answer. Yeah, I can, I can speak to that personally. I was, I was called for jury, jury duty maybe five or six years ago and, um, you know, went through the whole series of questions and, um, you know, me just thinking I should just tell the truth. I did tell the truth. I said like, they, I think, I don't know the exact wording, but it was something like, have you had negative experiences with the police or something like that? And I said, well, yes. And then, um, they, there was a portion right after that where I'm the only person that they needed to talk to more and, and ask me further questions about. And I just kind of recounted a true story from my youth where a police officer um, blatantly lied about things that my friends and I did not say, never said. And he actually went to court and blatantly lied in, in front of my face. And so I relayed that story and I said, like, you know, I would have to take into account the, you know, my experience when listening to any testimony from an officer. And they, they kind of pressed me on it, too. They said, well, could, couldn't you see that, you know, wouldn't you just presume that the officer is, is telling the truth? Uh, and I just said, well, I, I can't presume that, you know, I would I would consider that option. <laughs> I think it's an option. He's telling the truth. But I I know for a fact that I've experienced that officers don't always tell the truth. So I would I would have to just look at it in an unbiased way and try to you know judge, judge it that way. And as you can imagine, I, I, I was <laughs> summarily dismissed shortly after that. Right. And, and see, people don't understand that they talk about picking a jury. You don't really actually pick a jury. You you, you bring the panel up and you get the first 12 people, but for the people who get struck for cause and struck without cause, they have the right to strike people without any cause at all. They have every side gets normally uh, three strikes is pretty common. Uh, you might get more in a, in a big trial, um, which means that they can just say we don't want that person for whatever reason they want. They don't have to actually prove a so-called legal basis for why you might be prejudiced. Now, in a case like yours, you're probably struck for cause because they'll just say, Your Honor, I don't think they can be fair. Well, you've said nothing except that you'll be fair. What they want is for you to say that you will simply accept the word of whatever these people say. And if you don't do that, they're afraid you'll get in there and uh, just kind of poison the jury by saying, well, dude, I don't know. When I was, you know, 16 and such and such, tell them a story. They're like, eh, I guess it's possible. They don't want that. See, they don't want that. They insist, which is this, they insist on this thing, which is a direct violation of the most fundamental constitutional right people have, which is a right to a jury trial. And the reason you have a right to a jury trial is not so that you can go through this kangaroo process we have now where they strike all these different people for all these different reasons for whatever the hell it is. And then 
they insist that you must follow the law the way the court gives it to you. So however the court tells you the law is and what the definition is and these instructions and all the stupid crap, you must follow that. You're not allowed to just listen to it and say, you know what, this law is a bunch of crap and there's no way this thing should even be a crime and we're going to not guilty him. That is the actual purpose of a jury trial. The actual purpose of a jury trial is to be the final determiner of whether or not the stupid made-up laws they're passing in the legislature are something that the individual citizens of the community want to enforce. If, if, they, if they pass laws that the people think are a bunch of crap, and you, then you can't get convictions because what the jury should be instructed is that you are the judge of the law and the facts, which they are. And if you don't think this law is being appropriately uh, punished, if you don't think it's being appropriately prosecuted, if you think it's being abused, if you think the law itself shouldn't exist, then you have every right to vote not guilty. And that is the citizen's right. But you're not even as a lawyer allowed to tell them that. And the prosecutors who are sworn to do justice, they don't ever tell them that. They won't allow you to, and neither will the judges. And so the entire system is set up so that it's completely hopeless. And if people understood their rights under jury nullification, there's lots of good organizations like the Fully Informed Jury Association in the United States that has information on this. They hand out leaflets and everything else. But if you understood your rights, Imagine how difficult it would be for them to go down there and get these ridiculous drug convictions where somebody's got some joint on them or something. You, you wouldn't be able to extort people because you'd know you pull up those 12 people. And guess what? You're never going to get a unanimous conviction on this stuff. And all these made up crimes with the gun laws and the so-called tax evasion, and all this miscellaneous crap they bring up. I made a show about it when I when last year telling people they could use it to avoid these stupid mask laws and the business closings. If you, people understood that they don't have to follow this law given to them by the judge. Well, you'd never get a conviction of 12 people for closing your for not closing your business. It'd be impossible. And they could they wouldn't bother bringing the cases because they would know you'll never, ever, ever get 12 convictions on a jury. It'll never happen. It only takes one to say no. And they a hung jury. Well, good luck. Bring in another. Try them again. Good luck. You're going to get another hung jury at best. So they'll never be able to convict. And they do that enough. And it's over. See, it's over. The system would collapse if if people simply insisted on a jury trial and these stupid traffic courts and all these different misdemeanor courts. They would all collapse. They don't have the logistical ability uh, to ever try all these people. And if people caught on to that and jury nullification, you don't have to go up there and fix what the legislature's doing. See, it doesn't matter what they're doing. They can pass anything they want. If, they, if you know the laws can't be enforced, then they're never going to get arrested. You're not going to get arrested. And if you have that kind of situation, you need to get rid of all the immunity that these, the state has granted its own employees, and you'd be able to turn around and the cop would arrest you for some bogus crap. You get knocked guilty. You go sue the guy personally uh, for civilly and, and go collect money from him. How many cops are going to be arresting you then? None. But all those things are foreclosed because the system system is set up to intimidate and blackmail and extort the citizens into compliance. That's all it is. And uh, by that measure, it seems to work pretty well. (laughs) It's working perfectly, right? Once you understand the real measuring stick of what it's there to do, I hear this all the time from people, government's so incompetent, blah, blah. The system is broken. (laughs) 
Yeah, yeah it's broken and it's incompetent. It's so silly because I, I always tell them, I say, the purpose of government is to get control, more control of more people and more resources at all times. Is the government succeeding? Yes, it's succeeding every day. It's, it's getting more and more control of more and more people and more and more revenue and every day. It's fantastically successful. It's the most successful entity on the planet. And so to say that it's incompetent is ridiculous. It's because you're using the wrong measuring stick. You're using the measuring stick that these stupid constitutional conservatives try to give people to use. And if you use it and it's like, oh, yeah, see how incompetent it is? It's like, yeah, because you're imagining it's there to help you. It's not there to help you. It's there to control you. And when you use that as the measure, boom, it all makes sense. There's no more confusion. I can sense like a, a particular level of animosity whenever you use the phrase constitutional conservatives. And, and I know that you, is that because you kind of came from that background a little bit? So you kind of see through it a little bit because I mean, I, I know that you know, this show probably has listeners across whatever you might call the libertarian spectrum, including some that would probably call themselves, you know, more constitutional conservatives. So what is your, what's your beef? What's your big beef with people that take that view, even if they're not seeing the whole picture, you know, maybe they're at least trying to, you know, make things better. I don't know. Right. And when I say constitutional conservatives, all I'm really meaning is the ones in media, the ones leading this charge, not the individuals. They're all just being misled like I was for all those years. The reason I have a problem with these media figures who are the worst traitors, they are the, they are the biggest problem we have to real freedom is because the people who believe uh, the Bill Clintons and uh, you know the Nancy Pelosi's and the AOC's of the world – they can't be reached, okay? They don't want freedom. They don't want liberty. They don't want a smaller government. They want government controlling any and every part of everybody's lives. The people who are constitutional conservatives and certainly libertarians, they want the right thing. They want freedom. They want a smaller government. That's what they want. You Have you lost me? Yeah, I think I just lost you there for, for a few seconds. Are, am I back? Yeah, I'm trying to think. What You cut out about 10 seconds ago, so maybe you could just do, okay, all right. pick so, up thought and I'll edit together later. Okay, okay, well, what I was going to say, the problem with the liberals is that they, they don't even want the right thing. See, they, they can't be reached. When, you, when you're dealing with a liberal, they want big government. When you're dealing with a constitutional conservative, they want the right things. They want freedom. They want liberty. They want small government. And then the people who run that entire system of constitutional conservatives on radio and TV and media, they take those people who are the people we need for real liberty and they drive them into a ditch that can never, ever work. And so they're taking all these people who, if they could hear the simple message I give, they would understand how badly misled they are. And the, so, so my problem with them is that there are tens of millions of people who are on my side, but who don't know it because they, they, they're so brainwashed about constitutional conservatism, they think that's the answer. And no matter how many times I tell people, for 40 years now they've had talk radio going. Anytime you flip it on, you'll hear them railing about the liberals and this and that. Name one single thing they've ever actually accomplished as far as getting more liberty or freedom. There's nothing. It's always the same crap. 
They don't work. The systems they use don't work because the people don't understand what the Constitution even is. And those constitutional conservatives and media, the vast majority of them are useful idiots. They have no idea what they're talking about. All they do is parrot back the same crap that I used to believe prior to the time that I discovered how much of a scam it is. But there are some of them who definitely know it's a scam. And you cannot be in that industry for 10 years and still be completely ignorant of the gaping holes in the arguments. And all you do is listen to this stuff and listen to what they don't put on. They never talk about the Federal Reserve, ever. All they talk about is crazy liberal spending. Well, what about this Federal Reserve? Why don't you talk about the Federal Reserve? I don't understand. It's never discussed. And people that call in, they just shut them down. People that call in with real issues, they shut them down because they have their marching orders. And so the problem I have with those constitutional conservatives is is we're not making progress. We're losing ground every single day and will continue to lose ground as long as people believe that the answers lie in the ditches they're being driven into as solutions, primarying people, getting organized. I hear it all the time. I hear every single day if I hear a constitutional conservative, They mix these concepts like, well, people need to make their voices heard. Okay, well, there isn't a system to do that. The system is you have a representative. They go up there. They vote for anything they want. The only thing you can do to them is maybe get them out in two years. That's it. And so if people can just open their mind to the fact that you want freedom, great. I'm on board. I'm I'm your guy. I want freedom, too. I have... I have learned that the system of the Constitution, which I could I could spend as much time as anyone wants, and I have over and over in my podcast, my Twitter, explaining to people how the Constitution will never work. It will never, ever work to do what they're told by constitutional conservatives. It, it will never work. It can't work. It's as fundamentally flawed as the justice system. Yeah, to me, conservative media has, has really seemed like nothing more than controlled opposition or a a place that like conservatives or freedom lovers or whatever you want can go to vent, can go to feel like they have someone on their side, but at the end of the day, they're really not. I mean, I think one of the biggest examples of this that I've seen lately, um, and this will get us in trouble with YouTube, um, but fuck them. I don't care. We're already demonetized. You can go watch this on Odyssey if, if YouTube isn't happy about it. But when it came to the election and, you know, right. it, it, to, to any passive observer, I mean, and especially if you look into it, yeah, it's pretty obvious that there was some chicanery going on there. But within 24 hours, you know, you had Fox News, um, all the conser- mainstream conservative media saying, oh, yeah, no, the election's fair. Uh, yeah, yeah, we should still be, you know, conservatives and Republicans. But, but OK, the election's fair, guys. Come on. We know we know that. That's the one thing we can all agree on. <laughs> Right. Well, I mean, I think that was a it's a great example because they continue to act like, well, violence is never the answer. But then they love government violence. They they support government violence every day. And they they toe the line on that stupid insurrection thing, even though there were no guns. Nothing was happening. I thought the people owned this this country. Do the people own it? If they do, then how are they trespassing by walking around inside what property they supposedly own? And it's obvious the thing had just massive amounts of uh, agent provocateurs planted in there, probably by the federal government in a thousand different ways. And everybody knows this is what goes on. And and it's a good example. I think another great example is the way they continuously push this stupid 911 narrative, as though 911 is this official narrative is true. The, the, the narrative that we're given from about not what happened on September 11th is a joke. It's ridiculous. It's an obvious open lie. And yet every single year with the 
repeating of the narrative and the brainwashing about it. If they were really on our side of freedom, they wouldn't do that. They, they would never do that. That's ridiculous. That's outrageous. They never, ever question any of these absurd events like the Boston Marathon fake bombing deal. They just act like it's some big deal. They lock the whole damn city down. They act like it was a real bomb and all. They don't, they don't ever, ever go down those roads. And if they really wanted freedom, they would go down those roads. They talk about the Federal Reserve. They talk about how the, the, the income tax itself is misnamed. They talk about they wouldn't support the Civil War narrative. That's You can't hold a voluntary union together with a war. It's it's just a logical impossibility, and there's doesn't matter one damn bit what the war was supposedly fought about. You can't fight any kind of war to hold a voluntary union together. It's not possible. And so you don't get bogged down in the details. I never get bogged down in details because I don't need to. I don't have to prove what it was about. There is no set of facts it could ever be about and also be about holding a voluntary union together. So there's endless Endless examples of things I could tell people uh, that show that these constitutional conservatives are controlled opposition. There's absolutely no doubt in my mind if they were truly a threat to the system, they would face the same kind of problems that people like you do or I do, getting deplatformed, demonetizing. These guys are making tens of millions of dollars spreading a so-called theory that threatens the system. That's that's absurd on its face. And you don't think it is, then why don't you spread something about the anti-COVID narrative and see how long you last? That every single one of them pushes the vax. Every single one of them pushes the vax. They all say, well, I think it should be personal choice. But they love it themselves to tell you how they had it and everyone else should have it. But, you know, but, you know your choice. But then they still push the, the, the COVID vax is a great idea. Just endless examples of that, that very minor kind of quarter inch turn to the left, just barely like the Kung Fu master who doesn't even look like he moved and you try to punch him and missed him somehow. That's what they do each time. It sounds great, but when you actually look at it, it's crap. Even when certain, uh, you know, there's some certain governors, Republican governors out there that are taking actions, you know, against vaccine mandates, which I, I approve of, you know, like Governor Abbott in Texas. But even while he will issue an order banning the mandates, he'll say, but you should get the vaccine, of course. So it's like you're still kind of you're still playing the narrative while playing good cop for for a certain segment of your base, which is classic controlled opposition. DeSantis is against the vaccine mandate while he's rolling out a, a digital ID. He's down there in Florida rolling out a digital ID. Well, I mean, how, this is insane. And so every single time it's always the same. There's nobody out there in the politics who's coming out and speaking out about how the vaccine is not a good idea, who has any traction at all, who hasn't been fully kookified. I think Marjorie Green, who is that little blonde lady who, you know, was a yeah. big Trump backer. Um, she, I think she's against the vax, but how can she be against the vax when she supports Trump who started the vax and gave us Operation Warp Speed and the National Declaration of Emergency, which is a thing that doesn't even exist. There is no such thing as a National Declaration of Emergency. They have no constitutional authority to do such a thing. And it's yet, just something the government says when they want to do a bunch of shit. Basically. It's just a made up thing. It's just writing a statue. I, I tell people it's no different than me saying I have the power. How do I know? Well, I wrote it down. I read it. And then I wrote it. I wrote it down and then I read it. It's like, OK, well, that doesn't give me any kind of power. Just them declaring that they have it. They have to go back and look in the Constitution. Well, at the time the Constitution was uh, written and ratified, everybody had knew what an emergency was. They, they were well aware that emergencies occur. 
and they didn't give the federal government the authority to declare an emergency or to get additional powers during an emergency. So to say that they somehow got these additional powers by writing a statute after World War II that allows them to do it in these circumstances, well, that's not how you get authority. The authority of the government has to come from the people. The, the government can't grant itself authority. That doesn't make sense. That's the opposite of what our country supposedly is. And so for somebody to say they're against the vaccine, but they supported Trump and his Operation Warp Speed, which, again, is grossly unconstitutional, and then voted for the trillions of dollars in so-called uh, COVID relief that they did while Trump was there. Well, that's, again, it's totally unconstitutional. They can't just take money and hand it out to anybody they want it's just because they're so-called is a pandemic. They can't do any of those things, but it's a classic example of how if their team does it, they're fine with it. If the other team does it, they're not okay with it. And that's the fake controlled red versus blue Washington Globetrotters kind of thing, generals versus the Globetrotters. That's all it is. It's fake. You mentioned earlier that you've yet to find a single government narrative that is actually true. And you've mentioned a number uh, of issues in today that I think a lot of like my audience would agree with and be like, yeah, that, that thing's bullshit. This is the, or whatever. But you know, there, there's one that you, you, you put out a tweet a couple weeks ago. I'll just read the tweet. Um, cause it's, it's something that's been brought up a lot, especially, um, you know, in the age of COVID it's been referenced quite a bit, especially when it comes to being, you know, people being forced to take vaccines. People I, I'll say, well, this is against the Nuremberg code. Um, I'll, I'll just read your tweet first. You said, if, if you think the Nuremberg code is going to help us, then you probably don't know much about what really went on at the Nuremberg trials. You know, the story you've been taught by the same government that is abusing you right now under the quote unquote under the Nuremberg code. So I, I'm, and this is one of those things that too, I mean, maybe it's so before my time, I never really questioned it either. I just say, Oh yeah, the Nuremberg trials, that's where we decided Nazis are bad and we're not going to let people do experiments or something like that. I don't know. So can you give us uh, your perspective on what, what did actually go down at the Nuremberg trials? What about this narrative? Uh, don't we know? Well, it's, and this is a good example to me of something where it's not that people don't know. It's what people have been mistaught. See, and until until you go and investigate it, you think, well, the Nuremberg Code, this is where justice was, you know, rendered. No, they beat the they beat the people for for weeks and months in order to so call extract out uh, uh, confessions from people. They weren't allowed to to cross examine. They the trials were a joke. The one of the Supreme Courts in the United States, he just left because it was such a sham. He just left and. Anybody who reads about what actually went down there will see that that was a show trial of the highest order. And the idea that you can somehow hold these people when there are – and it gets into an area where it's very touchy because people – this is another one of these third rails YouTube has problems with. I'm not going to mention the different problems, but anybody who will investigate the underlying charges there, they're just – there's no real evidence for it, and you're not allowed to speak about it. And And the reason I would say the Nuremberg Code is obviously nonsense is because it, to the extent that the Nuremberg Code has any application at all, what would it be that you're not allowed to do? What is it people think you're not allowed to do? Not allowed to to, to have medical experiments on people? Well, what was MK Ultra? What was the Tuskegee experiments? What were all these things? They do it all the time. Is that what we're so we're going to draw? Uh, we're going to draw a line there. Well, we firebombed civilian populations throughout that war. That's what we did. We firebombed them. I mean, I don't understand. So we're allowed to. People don't understand that in these firebombings, like in Dresden, 
which was a absolutely not a military target and specifically designed to not be a military target. We knew it when we bombed it. Um, God knows how many people died in that thing. They don't understand that it, we, it, the inferno was so huge and was raging. And what happened there is it was, it was old people. This was children. This is disabled people. That's who lived in that city at that time. And the winds were so great being that people were being sucked down the street in 70 and 80 mile hour winds into the fire. Because if you've ever been around a fire, you, you can feel it. If you get close to a fire, you can feel like, wow, you can see it's sucking the air in at the bottom. Well, that's what was happening in this gigantic fire in this city, literally sucking people down the streets into the fire. And these were not enemy combatants. So how is that okay? People have no idea about what happened. They should read some of the revisionist history, like A Terrible Revenge, any any of those d- different books that show what we did once we actually won, we put them into these gigantic camps and we just starved literally hundreds of thousands of people. We just starved them to death. We starved the German army out and they were are they'd already surrendered. They were in a camp. And so our the idea that we somehow had a moral high ground in that war is absurd on its face. And the idea that the Nuremberg Code uh, was put in in order to protect freedom is as fake as the idea that we went to go get weapons of mass destruction or that this is a pandemic, that the vaccine is there so that we can be protected. It's as fake as every other thing. It's as fake as the idea that Pearl Harbor was a surprise to the top brass and the president. It was and it's all come out. It's everybody knows the Vietnam War was started over a fake event. The Gulf of Tonkin did not occur. They, they, they conducted a war for t- 10 years, killing God knows how many people, dropping petroleum jelly gasoline onto the people who were just out in jungles, killing, maiming our own troops. Everything you're told about the system is always lies because the system can never tell the truth. And when the system is fundamental lies, they have to have things like this to make people point to it and continue to imagine we're the good guy. But I would, I've asked people endlessly this Nuremberg Code. I did a show about this, this, this so-called crimes against humanity that that guy's pushing. Uh, it was probably uh, more than a year ago now, probably 14 months ago I did the show. And I saw it all the time that this is going to happen and we're going to get class action. And I'm like, dude, that's that's not going to happen. Procedurally, it's never going to happen. But what, in fact, has occurred from any of it? Nothing. Absolutely nothing's going to happen. And nothing's going to happen because you're never going to be able to use the system to punish and clean up the system. That is a nonsensical idea. The system, the judicial system that these people who think the Nuremberg Code is going to help, the system that you would have to use in order to apply it is there to make sure that the system is never brought to justice. The entire point of the justice system, that the way it's set up, is to protect the very people who run it, who abuse you. And so, yes, the Nuremberg Code, anybody wants to go look in those Nuremberg trials, anybody looks at any revisionist history will find very quickly with those things where the worst kind of kangaroo joke and that most of the evidence that was used all came from the Soviet Union, which cannot be confirmed by any other source, completely made up nonsense. And most people are unaware of this, that all the so-called uh, death camps that that were found, everybody has seen the films of the U.S. Army with the skulls and the, and the, the human skin lamps and all this miscellaneous bullshit. The Army's already admitted 
shit, 65, 70 years ago, those things weren't true. They were propaganda films. They've already admitted that. And today, anybody can go and see that the United States Army did not liberate a single so-called death camp. Not a single one. It only ones that were ever liberated were the ones that the Soviet army did. Oh, so it just so happened that only the Soviets happened to discover them. And then you can go through just all sorts of other things where you can go through the evidence and find that the, the numbers are all faked up. The this thing at Auschwitz, which I visited back in uh, the late 80s um, after getting out of the bar. And I went over there. I remember seeing and I was all impressed and everything else. And then I found out later the entire thing, the crematorium, the gas chamber, all that crap. It's all reconstructed in the mm-hmm. 1950s. It's faked up. It's, it's not even original. And none of this shit makes any sense. There's no documents. You just go through the thing and you say, look, well, whatever happened. They won't allow an honest investigation and they didn't allow it at the Nuremberg trials. And so if you're not going to allow an honest investigation, I'm sorry, but I'm not a believer. (laughs) You got to you got to you got to encourage investigation. That's what they need to do. And so the Nuremberg trials is a massive distraction. And if anyone thinks that's going to protect us, they can just look around and see that it's not doing anything. It's not doing anything. Yeah, and if uh, if if those trials were really meant to bring you know the greatest crimes of the Nazis to justice, I'm kind of thinking the U.S. government might not have hired a bunch of Nazi scientists right after that to go run right. NASA and a bunch of other programs. <laughs> exactly, and you know, I mean, there's just so many endless things like that. It's like, okay, well, what is the problem here? Is the problem crimes against civilians? Is that what it is? Well, then, then why is it just limited to Nazis? Why not the people who ordered the firebombing of Tokyo and a bunch of other places and and Dresden? Why aren't those people all being brought up on charges? Because they're killing. That was for good. There you go. (laughs) See, that's the whole thing. And that's all it is. And that's all this. this, That's why this Nuremberg Code thing is such a it's such a dead end. It's so it's so similar to Q in that people believe that there's this system working behind the scenes that all they have to do is kind of support it on social media and then it'll happen that it'll happen it'll be cleaned up that's not going to happen so you're never going to be able to clean the system up by using the system it's never going to happen i mean it's one thing to look back on, on a lot of these narratives that have just been ingrained into us uh, over decades and decades through public schooling government media propaganda or what have you but i mean in the last couple of years we've seen um this covid propaganda covid narrative i and you, you said something, I, I think you've said this a few times, um, like, you know, I, I see a lot of people, a lot of libertarians, especially, too, they'll say, oh, the COVID narrative is collapsing. Uh, the, like, uh, like, there's good news coming because a lot of this stuff doesn't make sense until, like, you've, you've pointed out several times, like, no, the whole point is that it doesn't make sense. There's nothing collapsing. Uh, there's nothing to celebrate when there's a bunch of contradictions here. This entire thing is a bunch of contradictions. And to me, it almost seems like a, you know, a mass psychological experiment. Like, how much will people go along with shit that makes, that obviously just makes no sense whatsoever. Oh, for sure. And, you know, that's why people should, I, I mean, people need to study what brainwashing actually is and how it's done. What's the purpose of it? And one of the main purposes is something like this, where the COVID narrative from day one has never made any sense. Okay, it's always been a joke. When I saw those ridiculous Benny Hill type of videos of people in China supposedly falling to dead over, it's just idiotic. They, they expect me to believe this crap. It's nonsense. They're showing the other people, they're struggling as they help them into a van. They're just rounding up dissidents. They're welding people into their homes. It's It was idiotic from day one, but the purpose of a large amount of propaganda on a large scale like this is to demoralize a population. And there's very few things that are 
more demoralizing than being constantly inundated by a con- contradictory, nonsensical narrative that you are you must go along with. That's exactly what went on in 1984. We've always been at war with East Asia. It screws with your head. To have to even just stay silent or to kind of passively agree or nod, yeah, 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 when the shit's not making any sense, that breaks you down. It breaks you down, and that's the entire purpose. And anybody who hasn't watched Yuri Bezmenov's videos from the 80s uh, where he's the Soviet defector, allegedly, but it doesn't matter what his – history is he's clearly a russian dude who came out he gave some interviews and he he talks about how propaganda works and he talks about how once you get a population to a certain level of demoralization then it the facts no longer matter see there's nothing will change your mind and we're clearly in that have been this entire time and the more you give these nonsensical narratives that i need a shot in order to protect me, that's what it originally was. Now we get the shot, but the shot doesn't protect me. I'm only protected if you get a shot that doesn't protect you. If you get a shot that doesn't protect you, then I'm now more protected if I also have a shot that doesn't protect me. We each have shots that don't protect us, but somehow we get protected together. You got to wear the mask, but you don't wear the mask. You wear two masks. You, you can take the mask off if you're if you're sitting down and eating, but you got to put the mask back up when you stand up. It, it none of it makes any sense. And living in an atmosphere like that, where this stuff is is pushed on people and and people have to pretend that it makes sense and lots of people around you are acting like it makes sense and insisting it makes sense. It tends to make people crazy and it. And it demoralizes them in that it just breaks you down psychologically and makes you want to just give up. And that's the main purpose is that they make the population so mentally disabled from the endless bombardment of this nonsense that they they really don't have the ability to fight back. They just kind of give up. It's like, well, I'll just... I just stay to my own, own thing, and I get people all the time. They want to move someplace. Like, there's not going to be anywhere to go. You might buy some time, but it's mostly just a beating, a psychological beating. And, you know, since the COVID narrative has never made sense, it can't fall apart. See, it can't ever fall apart because it's never made sense. And and so the, the idea that we're going to win by proving to people these new facts that supposedly come out all the time, they don't care about them. None of the facts have ever made any sense, ever. It's just been follow the science. And the science makes no sense, and the science changes every day. And that's very much a dystopian system of mind control, and people think mind control means that they tell you what to think and therefore you become a zombie. No, it's really more about breaking down your ability to resist and just kind of just give it up. That's really what it's about. And anybody who looks around can see that it's being very successful. It's being very successful. And and they're just getting warmed up. All right, gang, got to take one quick break before we wrap up here with Legal Man to tell you about our amazing Wonderful friends and supporters over at Lorenzotti Italy. Lorenzotti Italy is the number one place for you to stop and order some fine premium Italian coffees delivered right to your door in these neat little tins. And if that wasn't enough, you get to do so knowing you're helping a sponsor of this program. And if that weren't enough, you get to order using your Lions of Liberty discount code. That discount code is ROAR, and it gets you 10% off your order. So head on over to Lorenzotti.coffee 
and use discount code ROAR for 10% off some fine premium Italian coffees. Mm-mm-mm. Yummy, yummy, yummy. I'm just kind of curious your thoughts. Obviously, your your background is legal, not psychological, but I'm just curious from your own perspective, how do we keep our freaking sanity through all of this? Because because to me, like the, the thing that drives me insane isn't even the fact that the COVID narrative makes no sense. Um, it's that most people... I know at least, well, you know, and where I was in Los Angeles, almost everybody I know, um, didn't seem to have any problem with it, but even, even the people, it's more like the people that should know or the people that do know ostensibly do know, but still end up sort of going along with it thinking, well, if I just take this shot, surely this will, this will blow over here. But, uh, that that's so obviously not the case. And I don't know the answer. I'm kind of you know, retreating in a sense myself for the moment, but, um, just as far as your own, I guess your own sanity goes, how do you, uh, maybe it's just by, by vetting on Twitter and through the podcast. I don't know. That's what it is for me too. So maybe that's all it is, but I mean, how, how do you, how do we survive? This? It's such a good question. You know, I, it's, I, I've noticed that as the time has gone on, I, I cycle through periods where in the beginning I was just so angry at the insanity. I was so angry that, that, that people would allow this crap. And I was, that was once, once I realized people are not going to catch on. And since then I've just become more and more isolated in my real life because it's, I go outside to, to do anything with the general public and interact with them. I just come back tired. I just come back tired from having to see idiots wearing masks and just, and I know lots of them don't even believe it, but they're just doing it in order to go along, get along. Sure. They don't I, want to be seen as the dirty Republican not wearing right. a mask, so they put it on. No big right. deal. Just and a when mask, I right? see these people in masks, I think, okay, you're either someone who's who's on board, who believes all this stupid crap, so you're really dangerous, or you're somebody who just who's willing to to do this kind of thing just to go along. And both of those people are the problem. Those people make it impossible for me to live. And so, I try to keep my sanity for the most part by reminding myself that I'm not the crazy one here. <laughs> the, what they're doing is is the crazy shit. And some of that helps with with I have the, my Twitter account I enjoy because I I have a lot of people who know what's going on. They're very savvy. And it's helpful to get some feedback from people who remind me who we we laugh at it. I laugh at it a lot. I, I definitely make fun of the, the narrative memes. a lot it's the memes that keep me saying i love i love I love, I love great memes i've got i've got a group of friends that send me stuff to off outside of twitter and you know for me i try to i try to like i said remind myself that i'm not the crazy one but ultimately i i have to i've been trying to just make peace with the fact that well whatever it is i was planning uh my the rest of my life i had that's over now and i have to come to grips with the fact that this is the population I live among and I will do my best to try to help people who who want to understand what's actually going on and to accept the fact that, well, this is just kind of what I get. And I always compare it to what would I do if I was in 19, you know, 16 or 17 France and I just happen to be a 19 or 20 year old dude. Well, I'm going to get drafted. I'm going to go just sit into a trench. It doesn't matter that I know the war is being fought over crap and the generals are incompetent boobs. And they're trying to what? Does it matter? No, I'm either going to end up in a prison or I'm going to get put into a trench. And then what I'm going to do, I'm going to shoot my sergeant and say, we're not going over in the morning. I'm just going to get caught and court-martialed or I'm going to get shot or I can go over the top and get mowed down. The problem is these gigantic world events as they're moving around like this, an individual, even when they can see it, 
they don't have much ability to control it. But for me, keeping clarity in my own mind, knowing that, well, this is the way it is. And I can make peace with that as opposed to living in a delusional world and getting blindsided. I'd prefer the other. Did you ever see the movie Breaker Morant? I have not seen that, no. Okay, well, it's a great movie, and it was about the Boer War and these guys who get these these officers who they use, and they basically use them as uh, sort of uh, – they're the, they're the fall guys for a, a, a plan that goes wrong. And they know that they're the fall guys, and it's just a, it's, a, it's about their trial and how they handle it. And the reality is that, you know, a lot of my, my sanity is kept by the fact that I'm in charge of my own mind. They can't control my mind. I can do the best to control my mind. And in the end, I'm, I'm going to go out on my own terms, um, and I'm going to try to have as much integrity as I can, and that's all I can do. And I can't control the rest of the world, and I can't control what these idiots believe. And I, I go up and down. I go up. I cycle up and down. I get bummed out, and then I, I rally, and I talk to my friends, and, and I get bummed out, and I, then I get pissed off, and I make an after-hours episode, and then I go, and, and that's what I do. I mean, it's just it's a battle now. I mean, it really, truly is a battle. And if I had a simple solution, man, I'd sell that thing and become a multimillionaire tomorrow. But <laughs> I'd buy just, it. I'll buy it from you. Right, place, everybody would buy it. Hell, I'd buy it. I just, I don't have a good solution for people outside of, for me, I prefer to deal with reality rather than living in a false fantasy world. That doesn't, that doesn't work for me. And as ugly as the truth might be, I prefer to have the truth and try to make peace with it. That's what I end up doing. Yeah. I think you're doing just about the best you can do. And you know, I, I, the first stage in all this is, is acceptance and mourning and when mourning for the old world, because it's gone, you know, and I, and it hasn't been easy for me. I think, especially in the early stage of this, I, I, I wanted to tell myself, ah, this is just some weird thing that'll blow over in a couple of weeks. And then, but I mean, <laughs> if it's not obvious now that it's not going to blow over in a couple of right. weeks, you know, I don't know what to tell you guys. Yeah. I mean, they don't build a huge infrastructure like this all over the world in order to resolve out a, a pandemic so-called that we're supposedly near the end of this is this infrastructure is not being constructed to, to, to get rid of because it's temporary. It's being constructed. And, People who get to the stage where I am, where I'm so fully black-pilled or cyanide-pilled, I've mourned the loss of all those things. All those different uh, narratives that I, I found and discovered were were not true, they were difficult to accept. I mean, it was a lot of times depression, weeks, months. Some, some of them took years and years to make peace with because they were such an integral part of what – I thought I lived in and believed and stood for and all it's just all crap it was all made up and and all the things I kind of hoped I knew the world was shit but I had systems that I could kind of work around those things have all been blown up the idea of traveling and living somewhere that's all gone now that's not going to happen in the future and and so I have to make peace with those things and it's not easy to make peace with them and and I can't expect I go easy on myself. You know, I go to ACA, which is just this sort of, it's like, a, it's alcohol, it's like Alcoholics Anonymous, but I'm not an alcoholic. So it's adult children of alcoholics and my folks aren't alcoholics, but it uses the same kind of 12 step stuff. But the point of it being that, you know, mourning these things that 
I hoped I'd have, or I imagined I had, or I thought existed and really didn't, you know, I thought they cared about me and they didn't and whatever it was, they take time. And when I look at the scale of what has changed now in this world with the stupid mask and a, probably a vax passport and the stupid vaxing, they're going to probably start jabbing and, and boostering and maybe even turn me into a, a, some kind of mutant. I don't know, but whatever's coming, it's big. It's big. All the stuff I used to like to do, that's all sucks now. And so it's not surprising to me that I haven't fully adjusted and I'm okay and back to my old self having made peace with something of this magnitude after this amount of time. Because just like you, I kept imagining that, well, it, it, it still could somewhat change kind of thing. Maybe, maybe a year ago, I still kind of thought, there's a possibility that, you know, if we got in the winter and after the election, maybe something, maybe there was still a slim. I knew it was probably not, but it's slim. Now, after the election, now where we are in the vax, it's it's obvious it's never gone away. And so I have to make peace with that. And so I haven't even really been trying to make full peace with such a gigantic change, a, such a huge shift. It's maybe a year. Well, that's. That's not that unreasonable that I still haven't been able to make peace and I'm good with something that's I'm bombarded by every day. It'd be like saying, well, why don't you just make peace with the fact that your family was killed in a car accident? And yet every single day you're you're taken to the spot and you're shown pictures again and again of your family and how they were blown. Well, I mean, it's not that easy to recover when you're still living in it. You know, it's hard to mourn when uh, you know you go outside and you, you can't walk 10 feet without seeing you. So right. least, especially where I am right now. I mean. Masks are everywhere here. I mean, Mexico is a, there aren't really hardly any government restrictions, but it's overtaken the culture. I can't walk for, I can walk for an hour. Maybe if I'm lucky, I'll see one other person without a mask. Okay. See, that's what I'm saying. So it's not that, it's not that surprising. That's the lesson I learned from ACA is I just go easy on myself. It's like, look, I'm doing the best I can. I mean, is it surprising to me that since they've basically shut down these restaurants, they blew up my practice, they've made it almost impossible to travel, and everywhere I go, I have to see these idiots with masks on? Um, is it that surprising that I'm still trying to adjust to this and, it, and I'm depressed? No, it's not surprising. And so, you know. Weird if you weren't. Yes, it will. You would be. And so I really think it helps to for people to just realize that, they shouldn't just be able to get over it and uh, and be fine at this point. I don't think that's realistic. And, you know, you do what you can to fight it. You do what you can to, to, to deal with other people and wake them up. And and dealing with the psychological effects of this. Wow. I mean, it's it's a lot. <laughs> it is. If nothing else, at least um, at least we can say that people out there like you and I who have somewhat kept their sanity through this, at least we like to think so as much as we can. At least you're not alone out there. You got me. Right. You got legal man. There's others like us that are going through this, too. So absolutely. You know. It helps. It helps yeah. to know that there's other people just. And that's one of the powers of uh, that kind of confessional thing and that they do at AA or at ACA, same kind of thing is that, you know, just. Just hearing that other people are suffering the same kind of stuff, people who you may respect or you think that, you know, they're, they've got their, they, they're, they're reasonable people, that they're also suffering and they also struggle with it. Just knowing that is, it's helpful. It's helpful just to know that. Why that actually helps, I don't know. You know, misery loves company. I don't get why it works, but it is helpful. And uh, it provides a little bit of camaraderie to know that you're not alone. You know, humans are basically pack animals. They need some other people. Yeah. 
Yeah, this would be a lot harder if I was the only one thinking this stuff. You know, if everyone was going along with it, at least I have somewhat of a community here. People like you, people, you know, a lot of the people in this liberty type world that at least do see through this stuff. So I'm not truly alone in that sense. So uh, absolutely, um, yeah. And if you, it's if huge. you guys want to hear, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, that's huge. You know, it's just it's really really big, and I, I, people shouldn't underestimate that, especially because I see a lot of people uh, that I interact with on social media and inside my kind of Patreon account, and a lot of times they literally have nobody else in their family. Mm-hmm. Like, I, imagine I can't even imagine how tough it must be that if you're if you're married and your spouse is not on board with you and you have a kid, I, I can't even imagine the kind of conflict that causes. If you don't have friends, if you, if everybody you kind of know in your circle is not on board with it, that's very isolating. That that will mess with your head, you know? Mm-hmm. And so reaching out in any way to people who can confirm that you're not crazy and that there are other sane people who are suffering the same thing, it helps. It yeah. just does. I'm I'm incredibly lucky to have an amazing wife who sees through all this too. And I, but I can't imagine if you know if I've been someone with married to someone for maybe five years and then this thing happens and they're you know they're totally bought into it. And I mean, how it's one thing when it's just you know people you know, but what about the person who you share your entire life with? I mean, I I have so much sympathy for anybody that finds himself in that situation. Horrible. I mean, I just I that's to me, it's even worse than just having like you know, older parents that you need to take care of who are on board, you can kind of avoid that. But mm. if your wife is not on board, I just can't imagine the conflict that would cause in somebody's life. I just don't know how you can continue to, I, I, there's, that just blows my mind. I just, yeah. I really feel bad for it. And I hear those stories all the time where yeah. that's the situation. It's like, and then you have a kid? So, so they want them to the kid to get jabbed up, and you don't. And and what do you do? It's just so. Oh wow! And try just, taking that one to court. You know what the court's siding with? Exactly. <laughs> I mean, you, you're screwed. You take that to a family court. You ta- you're, you're screwed. And and so that's there's a ton of that out there. A ton of that going on out there. And wow, it's. That's man. <laughs> I just I'm very, very glad that I have all of my friends are fully black pilled. And so I don't I don't have to worry. There's no topics that are off limits or anything else. And it doesn't mean we have to talk about it all the time, but I don't have to be careful with my words. You know, I don't have to be like, oh, I don't want to step on the wrong time. I don't have to worry that the fight's going to break out. I don't have to worry about anything like that. Mm-hmm. We can all just kind of sit there and understand that, yeah, it kind of sucks. You know, this kind of sucks. <laughs> it's just, it's just kind of unspoken. You know, that's what it's, that's what for me it's like to have a friend and it'd be the same thing. I'm not married, I'm divorced, but I, I can't even imagine what it would be like to, I just, it's off limits. I, I, I don't. It's not workable. I just don't know how anybody could stay married. I just don't know how I, you could ever do it. Yeah, well, well, legal man, I do appreciate you uh, joining me for this this little therapy session of our own today here. And um, you know, of course, uh, as as I encourage people, please do check out the Twitter account you, at US Law Review. Check out the Quash. And uh, you know, before I let you go, feel free to plug away if there's anything else you you want to mention or any last final words for the listeners. Out no, outside of the fact, I would say that I don't know if people are aware, but you know, we're going to make this movie, and I think this movie is going to be a real opportunity to expand people's 
in the Liberty Movement. It's a movie that was written by Larkin Rose, who a lot of people probably know in the Liberty Movement. Yeah. And it's called The Jones Plantation. And there's a short, it's been out for about 10 years on YouTube that he made called Same Name. And I've been cast as Mr. Jones. And it's set to start shooting January 10th. And it's going it's an indie film. It's, a, it's definitely a labor of love. It's going to come out like uh, spring, like late spring next year, in all likelihood. And I hope people go over and support that project because, you know, we got to find different ways to reach people besides just, you know, I, I love podcasts, but a movie that's an allegory that tells a story, a real liberty story, uh, it's about the Federal Reserve in effect. <laughs> it's, it's not going to be a movie like any other movie that's ever been made. And so I'm really excited about the project and I like to promote it just because, I think it's a really worthwhile, a really worthwhhile project. So, question yeah, is, will your will your film credit be as Legal Man? Or uh, no, I, I've got a. I'm going to use a, a stage name, but yes, <laughs> uh, but I will. I will definitely be. I mean, I, I have some video clips out there anyway. But that's the reason I came out from behind the uh, curtain anyway was because I agreed to do that movie. And gotcha, uh, gotcha. I'm really, like I said, I really think it's an opportunity for people who love liberty to to have a new system like that since so many movies are all just liberal stuff this is going to be very different all right well legal man thank you so much for joining me today had an absolute blast i don't think i need to tell you to keep it up because i know you're going to so keep up the great work keep on roaring hey thanks so much had a great time really appreciate it all right kitty cats i hope you enjoyed that conversation with legal man i sure did someone i've really wanted to talk to for a while glad we could make that conversation happen today there will be more conversations more ranting and raving coming later this week from my compatriots here starting with brian mcwilliams on wednesday who'll be smacking you upside the head with his weekly shot of comedy culture and liberty on electric liberty land while john odie odermatt wraps things up on thursdays with Finding Freedom. He has absolutely been crushing it lately on that show. Also, amigos, don't forget to come and make your plans right now, if you haven't already, to come see me and so many of your Liberty podcast friends in Sayulita, Mexico, a place where COVID no longer, if it ever did, exist. Uh, we will be there from December 10th to 12th at the Sayulita Super Spreader event. This is being put on by our good friend Johnny Profita of the Peddling Fiction Podcast. And this is just a star-studded affair. You've got yours truly, of course. I'll be doing a live podcast there, as will Clint Russell from Liberty Lockdown, as will Buck Johnson from Counterflow, as will Johnny do, doing a live peddling fiction. You will also see Robbie the Fire Bernstein, who I will be actually setting up for. I'll be doing a brief, rare stand-up comedy set opening up for Robbie the Fire, who will also be doing a uh, a live podcast from Sayulita. Remember, no masks, no vaccines, no testing, whatever. Just come and hang out on the beach with us and live like it's 2019. Head over to sayulitasuperspreader.eventsmart.com to check that out. And while you're doing that, why don't you pop over to my Substack? It's called Metanoia. You can find that at markclair.substack.com. That's all I've got, friends. Until next time. Live free.